You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we got another good one today. Um... I love talking to people who know a lot about not only their products, but the category in general. And today we're going to be talking with Ryan Silver. He is uh, a marketing guy from the, uh, the, the bow manufacturer Prime Archery. And typically I don't like to talk with, I'll be honest, I don't like to talk with the marketing guys uh, because for the most part, I'm not going to say all marketing guys, but for the most part, on average, these guys um, read sheets of paper and just repeat specs, right? That's their job to promote the product, but they don't typically know the ins and outs of the product, uh, let's say like an engineer would. Um, but sometimes we have this problem where engineers can't really communicate very well with the media side of things, right? So that's that's something that we always uh, uh, have to juggle when you when you're talking about product specs and and, des, and innovation and design and engineering however ryan is actually really good at what he does he know he's been working uh with prime for a very long time and he knows the products ins and uh, ins and outs and you know he self-admittedly says he's not an engineer but he could really pass for one if uh if he wanted to so this is actually a a really good episode and man you learn a lot about what motivates certain bow manufacturers and what really from from what I've gathered in this episode what really motivates prime is putting out the most accurate bow possible and all of their design engineering and innovation kind of revolves around that and it's a it's really exciting to to see 
I don't know, to, I should say to see, but to hear someone from that company really explain it in detail, explain the direction of the company and uh, the decisions that they make, how they interact with the end user and the dealers and, and all that good stuff. So hold on, because it's a good one. I mean, it's a really good episode. And uh, man, we talk a lot about accuracy and cam lean and uh, not travel and it's like all the things that make a good bow a good bow right and uh, i mean i've I've shot primes in in the past and they are a really i mean they're they're a good bow uh, company so uh, just like all the bow manufacturers out there right uh all these bows will will definitely kill kill a deer right with practice and tuning and finding a bow that fits you any bow out there whether it's eleven hundred dollars or whether it's i don't know uh, 400 bucks right with practice you're going to be able to kill a deer but there are some things that make uh, the design the engineering the innovation just a little bit sweeter on some of these higher end bows man and, and I, I get geeked out by that so uh, that's what we talk about today but before we get into the episode I do have to do uh, a couple uh, commercials here and the first one is the average conservationist now the average conservationist is an apparel line it is a it's a, it's a company that makes hats and shirts and uh, hoodies and some pretty cool logo wear at that. So, uh, and, and a, a other thing. Now, here's the cool part, right? The cool part, aside from their logos, uh, you know, that they have on their, their logo tees, this lifestyle brand. Oh, by the way, the Euro tee is my new favorite t-shirt. It's like an elk skull, a mule deer skull, Euro mount, and... Uh, and a whitetail Euro mount all on the front of this. And it looks, it, I don't know, it's just, I'm a fan of it. It looks really cool. Uh, when it's cooler outside, I wear the, the compass hoodie. Uh, my favorite hat is the general hat. I'm a huge fan of the, uh, that that setup right there. And then the, the camp crew neck is kind of a, a kick-ass. It almost looks like a throwback type sweatshirt. So there's a lot of cool things on there. Uh, the AverageConservationist.com, they give 10% of all their profits right off the top. 10% of all their profits to a uh, to some form of conservation effort, whether it's local or nationwide. So that's one reason I really like uh, working with this company. One, uh, you know, they make some kick-ass gear. Two, they're conservation-focused, and that's a big thing for me, right, to be conservation-focused. So go check out all their apparel and what they're doing over at theaverageconservationist.com. And if you, hey, I got a discount code for you. If I can find it, I'm not very organized tonight. Here it is. Uh, NFC10. NFC10, and you're going to save 10% off your purchase. All right, so there's that one. Next one, Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Man, you've heard me talk about Lone Wolf uh, Tree Stands. You can find out all the information at lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. This is like an additional appendage when I go out into the woods. I'm so comfortable with this uh, product line, whether I'm carrying three sticks or four sticks. My, my typical run and gun set is four sticks and the assault, right? It's lightweight. It's easy to tear up or tear up. It's easy to uh, set up and tear down. Uh, it's one of those products that it, they're dead quiet once you learn how to use them, right? So there's no clinking and clacking and, and squeaking, when you're putting it to the tree, it's just you and the right spot. And the, my favorite part about using Lone Wolf 
is it can adjust to any tree, right? Whether the tree has a lean to it or a whole bunch of branches, it's going places where a climber can't, right? And it's going places where a normal hang-on can't go because of the balancing, right? And the bat wing on the back. And, and you can learn all of uh, how to, to level that tree stand on a crooked tree over at lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. Please go check, uh, take a look at that. And I'll tell you, the thing that I like about it is giving you this discount code because it is actually a badass dis- discount code. Uh, 9FC21, 9FC21. And that's gonna save you $50 off of all purchases over $200. So you buy a tree stand, enter the discount, $50 off. You buy a set of sticks, enter the discount code, $50 off. You buy another tree stand, enter the discount code, $50 off, right? And that's a, that's a huge discount, if you ask me, a really good one. All right, uh, last one, hunt stand, man. I've, I've really become, like, I didn't use this up until about six months ago, hunt stand. And so it is, it's, it's an app you can download for free. It is a digital mapping, right? It's digital mapping. Uh, it comes with a variety of different base maps that you can choose from. And, and all the functionality is what really makes this, uh, what really makes this, this product shine, this apps shine, because it has 3D, right? You can, you can kind of tilt the map. Just, just like Google Maps, uh, you can tilt the map. You can put down markers like uh, like an uh, elk wallow or a buck bed or uh, a scrape or a tree stand location or a trail camera location. Uh, it allows you to pick through a variety of different mapping options. Uh, on top of that, it has property boundaries and uh, what else? Uh, yeah, like property boundary information, uh, property ownership information. It allows you to see where public land starts and and where private land starts and all that kind of stuff um what else it has offline mapping right so you're able to save that cutout of the area that you're going to be hunting and uh you can basically just run run it off of airplane mode and what else oh the cool thing here's another uh, that's cool right is some of the other products that i've used in the past um are or like in the hundreds, $150, $200 a year category. Well, you can download Hunt Stand for free, but if you want to upgrade to the pro, uh, the pro package, it's only 30 bucks. 30 bucks a year to use all of this crazy, you know, all of this craziness and, uh, you know, all the, the, the functionality, the features and whatnot. And the cool, uh, Another cool thing and that I really enjoy this, it's social. It's all connected. So if you want to share information with another user, you can do that. Um, so what I'm always, what I always recommend is going to huntstand.com and just reading up on all of the functionality that this, uh, that this app has. It's really cool. It's really intriguing. And I know that you guys will, uh, will definitely benefit from it. So huntstand.com. All right, we've done the commercials. Now let's get into today's, uh, I guess it's going to be bow hunting, bow, uh, bow manufacturer, archery related with Ryan Silver of Prime. All right, on the phone with me today from Prime Archery, Ryan Silver. Silver, good, I got mumble mouth already. Ryan Silver, how we doing, man? Good, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of this episode, though, I, I do have to ask you, um, do you have any big hunts you're looking forward to before uh, for this upcoming fall? 
no, nothing, nothing extravagant planned. I, I like going out there and putting a couple holes in some does, but uh, outside of that, nothing really extravagant. I had an opportunity last year to possibly go elk hunting, but uh, COVID kind of screwed that up. So yeah, hopefully I'll get I'll get another opportunity coming up soon. But uh, really, it's just about getting time, man. You know how that is. Yeah, that's a fact. So Prime's out of Michigan, right? That's right. We're about we're in Memphis, Michigan, which is about an hour north of Detroit. Okay. So, do you do most of your hunting then in the in Michigan? Um, surprisingly, no, because I don't I don't get a whole lot of chances to get out. So I take advantage of that when I do. Like uh, last year, I went to Missouri, and uh, year before that, I went to North Carolina. Um, do most of my turkey hunting here in Michigan, that's for sure. But uh, but yeah, the deer hunting, I don't, I don't get a whole lot of chances to do it. And so when I do, I try to make a three or four day trip of it. I mean, not that I couldn't, there's plenty of hunting here in Michigan to do. Um, I have gone out a few times, but, uh, I spend most of my time at other States. Yeah. Maybe okay. it's just part of the, uh, being part of the industry. You know, you know, a lot of people and they all want to go take you hunting. Yeah. I feel you. That's a good problem to have, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not complaining at all. <laughs> all right. So. I want to talk about the bows of, of Prime today, obviously, and I want to talk about uh, just, I had the Prime Logic, and then the next bow that I had was the Prime CT3, and since then, you guys have had the the Black Series, and, and that leads into the Nexus Series, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So yeah. my my question to you is, not really a question, but talk about that the evolution in the the past three years, and maybe lead that into the evolution of Prime since the company was actually started. Sure, I mean, uh, wow, we're, we're going back a few days, aren't we? But, yeah. Uh, I guess uh, you know we've we've always been focused on accuracy as as a company here at Prime. Um, when when we came out with a parallel cam system that was designed to try and eliminate cam lean, to try and make the bow a little bit steadier, a little bit more forgiving, um, just aiming better and shooting an arrow as straight as humanly possible. So that's that's pretty much what we've been focusing on from day one. And because of that, we've we've started to recognize some of the problems that maybe some archers were having, especially in the aiming department with their bows, as far as being balanced or just being stable is it wobbly is it top heavy things like that so so you look at that about was about four or five years ago when we came out with the synergy line that's when we started to address the aiming part of the game um and that's actually when we started to bring in uh the flexus guard as well to help with a little bit of tuning to go along with that aiming so um when we developed the synergy line that center balance riser it was it was very tricky it was it was it wasn't anything new to the industry, but it was new to us and the way that we went about it, it was new. So I don't think a center balance riser is, is new. It's just, it was hard to get it to tune properly. So how we were able to achieve that was making two different size cams. So our cams were asymmetrical and being that we machine everything in house, uh, we were able to do that. We could literally make our cams however we wanted to for match sets. So, um, when we figured that out, we knew we could actually make a center balanced riser that helped perform on the aiming side of things. And, you know, we, we looked at the shot, 
the, the shot cycle of every hunter, every archer out there, and the longest time spent is the aiming part. So we figured how could we make that better? So you have your draw cycle, which is only about maybe a second or two long, and then you have your aiming, which is the majority of your, your shooting cycles, and then you have the release, which is only a fraction of a second. So, so how could we help the archer? That's what we focused on was aiming at that point. Um, obviously, we don't want to abandon uh, laser beam knock travel. That's something that we always are focused on as well. So accuracy as a whole system is what we are all about. And as we develop our system, we start to make it even better and better and better. So after we came out with the synergy line, we came into the logic where we started to make the cam a bit wider, so we had to go with the split limb combination. And when the cam got a little wider, it tend to help with the left-right wobble. So as soon as you draw back and you anchor or, or you hit that back wall, your bow tends to wobble a little bit to the left and right. Now, with that wide-balanced cam system and the wide-balanced uh, um, uh, limb pocket and the, and the limb set that we had, it took a lot of that wobble out, and we were able to keep that center balance riser going. So we took that into the CT line, which gave us a little bit longer axle axles. And then we took it into the Black Series line. Now, the Black Series big change was us finally being able to keep our efficiency by making uh, the rotocam. Uh, basically, uh, a rotating mod cam system that you don't need cam specific or you don't need a bow press or anything along those lines to actually change your draw length, which has always been kind of an issue for some people with Prime, but we weren't ready to sacrifice efficiency or accuracy by just making a rotating cam. So it took us two and a half years to develop that cam system to get it ready to where we can actually make it efficient enough to match our draw-specific cams at that nice wide parallel set. So from that black series bow, which had the first roto cam set on it, we came into the new bow, which is our Nexus series. Now our Nexus series this year, we had the Nexus 2, the Nexus 4, and the Nexus 6. Now, those are all different axle axles, all of them at six inch brace height, except for the Nexus 6 is at six and a half inch brace height. Um, but the major development that we made there was trying to reduce a little bit of the hand stuff. So, more focusing on, so we already kind of established the balance part of it and the accuracy part of it. So, now we're trying to mainly focus on uh, the comfort part of it. So that's where Nexus came in, and the name itself means, you know, the connection between two things. And when we focused on the grip for the Nexus, it was the connection between the archer and the bow. Like, where are those problems? Well, one is cold. So we had bare metal risers, so we tried to develop a grip that is not just going to be warm to the touch. It's going to get warmer as you touch it. And that's where the Aerogel technology came in. So Aerogel is actually... Uh, material developed by NASA, they put in their, their spacesuits or they put in their, their satellites to separate like serious temperature changes, like outside vacuum of space is super cold or super heated from atmosphere entry, things like that. So the aerogel basically creates a barrier between the two extreme temperatures and, 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 and protects whatever's on the other side. So when you grab that grip with your hand, it's the warmth of your hand is what you're going to feel, not the cold of the riser. And the longer you hold it, the warmer it's going to get. So that's where we started to develop it, but yet still trying to advance on our rotocam, making them even just a bit quicker and making the bow even a little less vibration in it. So, yeah. And that's where we're at today. So looking ahead to the future... I mean, I, I do know what's coming up, and I'd love to tell y'all, but uh, 
yeah, it's it's pretty amazing stuff. You think how could they make another step? Well, you're about to see here in the next few months what kind of step we're gonna make. Nice. Well, and and you know, you kind of went through everything. I mean, by the way, you answered that uh, that very difficult question fairly easy. Uh, so uh, kudos oh, <laughs> kudos to you on that. But you know, yeah. you mentioned a lot of things in in there. You mentioned like camling and wobbling and mm-hmm. hand shock and, and all these things, right? All these words. As a company, or uh, as as you guys sit around the the idea table and say, okay, well, hey, we gotta we gotta do something about uh, camling, or we gotta do something about draw cycle, or we gotta do every, you know, all this stuff. Is it a attack one thing at a time uh, per year, or are you guys trying to uh, attack multiple things in a single year? as far as the, the categories that I, I, I just uh, mentioned? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it's we would love to attack as much as we can every single year, but there's a certain amount of constraints that you have with manufacturing and, and even materials, especially after COVID situation. you got a lot of material issues coming up. So what we'll do is we'll just really kind of tell a story each one of us has to come to the table, tell a story about maybe a problem an archer is having that you heard or even yourself has had, whether it be hunting or even in the target field. So, so for us, we had to come to the table with a few issues that people were having and then see if we can, we can solve all of them. But obviously, you can only solve as many as you can. So we started to rank them as of important, and then we'll try and solve them from the top of the list down. Yeah. So – you know, maybe we get a couple of issues solved in one year. Maybe we get one major issue solved in one year, you know. But as long as we're solving an issue every year, I think I think everybody's happy about doing their job because that's the one thing we try not to do is just roll out another bow that looks about the same that has very nothing, nothing different about it. So, you know, we might have to do that when we make one single bow in order to make new axle to axle lengths the following year. But that's just based on our two-year plan for that system. Um, but usually every year we try to solve at least one major issue. And this year it was it was the grip. It was comfort and feel. Yeah. So, you know, it's like every year there's an issue that you guys try to solve and you try to knock out. Um, do, you, yeah. do you guys see there being a plateau at all? Or how, how far do you have to dig to find a problem uh, to, to address – until it becomes, okay, well, we're just putting out a new bow to, to put out a new bow, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been working here for nine years now. It's going on my 10th year. And uh, I'd say after year two, I thought we hit our plateau. But it just really seems like, uh, you know, you, you really think hard. You start to dig hard. You can actually find a problem that's solvable. Now, it's not hard to find problems. It's hard to find problems that are solvable, you know, like in the bow itself. You know, I mean, everybody has has their problems, but what parts can we help by delivering a bow? And sometimes that just comes with consistency. Sometimes it comes with manufacturing consistency, just making things just tighter and tighter tolerances and and actually troubleshooting it before it goes out the door. So one thing we don't want to do is instill a problem with our product onto a customer. That's our problem, and we need to fix that problem before we give it to a customer. So that's that's why we're always trying to figure out how can we solve the problem and how can we make this right before we send it out the door. Yeah. 
So a lot of the information that you guys get back that leads into maybe an adjustment or a tweak or um, uh, to notice a problem comes from your end users. How difficult mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. Uh, because you're dealing with people who aren't engineers. And if you told me, uh, you know, hey, Dan, what's wrong? What's wrong with your bow? What would you like to see fixed on it? Well, you know, when I do this and that and then this and that and then, you know, kind of it does this a little bit. And, and I'm, I'm talking in non-engineering terms at all. How hard is it sure. to sure. translate what your customers are telling you into um, a viable solution to that problem? Um, I mean, it's, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's hard to translate. It's not, it's not too difficult once you actually kind of see where the problem is and what they're trying to say. The hardest part is translating to the customer what the problem could be, especially if it's their problem, you know? Right. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are, you know, not, not have the greatest form or start twisting risers and things like that. Can't get a bullet hole. And then the, you know, the bow sent back to us and six guys here shoot it and it's a perfect bullet hole. So that's the hardest translation to make is is what is this customer doing that that is not happening on the bow it's happening on that end and then that, how can we help address that and fix that you know yeah. without telling him dude you, you're just holding your grip wrong you gotta get it together here buddy but, yeah <laughs> you know that's that's not something that's, yeah that's not something any archer ever wants to hear so yeah. you know that is the hardest translation to make is uh between what he's doing wrong and why it's affecting his shot um but for for the most part it's not too hard i mean to be honest with you it's harder for me to understand the engineering talk than it is the the regular people talk i mean i'm in marketing so i actually listen to regular people all day doing events and stuff like that and yeah i don't know what the hell they're talking about but after we talk for a bit oh i get it i see what you're trying to say and then we we can actually start to break some ground you know yeah yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So through this this whole customer feedback to, um, you know, to them identifying issues, you addressing those issues, and, and that back and forth between the customer and Prime, what would you say that, you know, and I'm leading into this accuracy question because you guys, it says on your website, most accurate bows on the planet, right? That's a pretty bold statement. So when I pick up a prime and I say I'm going to shoot it and I'm not having the accuracy prop, you know, I'm not getting the accuracy that I want out of your bows. Number one, what makes the bow so accurate? And number two, how how does that this bow make me a better archer? Okay, so one thing that we especially out the gate believe that makes a bow very accurate is uh knock travel is if your knock travel is about as straight as it can humanly be um and your arrows coming out as straight as possible so we can eliminate the bow causing accuracy issues from you and then there's the other part to address how do we help the archer be more accurate so that's where center balance riser comes in and then that uh i talked before the, the wiggle back and forth with having a wide cam set and a wide limb set that kind of matches the size of the, the riser and grip and everything everything in balance so when you pull back you're aiming you're basically your pin float is reduced quite a bit your aiming is, is quick it's on point and it's solid and it stays so our back wall plays into all that so 
so there's two aspects of it, right? There's there's how do we make the bow more accurate, and then how do we help the archer become more accurate? So the bow more accurate is is a lot of it has to do with consistency and knock travel, just making that bow about as straight as possible to shoot that arrow with solid efficiency. Now we don't we don't concentrate on having the fastest bow on the market. We don't concentrate on having the most dead dead bow in the hand market. We concentrate on having the most accurate bow. And when we say that, we mean that that arrow flies as straight as humanly possible. So the bow is accurate. So we mean you're going to be the most accurate archer on the planet because if the bow is shooting straight now, that's half the battle. You have to start shooting better, right, to make it, make it more accurate. Right. So now we start to address with that center balance riser. We start to help you aim a little bit better so that bow doesn't move around nearly as much. It's not twisting. It's not twerking in your hand nearly as much. And then we can start to address some of the other issues that are on the checklist that they're just not as priority as the accuracy part. I got you. All right. So, you know, through learning as a company, um, where would you say that archers have the most issues in that entire, you know, knocking an arrow, drawing it back, aiming and releasing it? Where does the inaccuracy, not from your bow, but from the archer tend to come from? You know, I mean, there, there's several levels of it, I believe. Um, I might be the wrong person. There's probably uh, a couple of guys here that shoot a hell of a lot more than I do and have helped people a lot more than I have. But I still listen to the stories and I still see the arguments and I still watch the people. And I'd have to say a lot of it really is just consistency. Number one, like your anchor point being consistent, your grip being consistent, and then torquing that grip. You know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys don't know how to bend at the waist properly when they're shooting downward and, and to, you know, when they're shooting and they got to turn to the side, let's say you're on a ground blind, you're trying to lean over, get that hunchy shot from the other window. I mean, understanding what that moving your head is going to actually do is if you can understand that and eliminate that before you're going to make your shot, that's going to make that shot a hell of a lot better. So I think it's really just, it's little things like that that you may either forget about or don't know about or don't really practice nearly as much that translate into the field to non-accurate or miss, you know? Yeah. And th- those are the ones that I would say most likely are the culprits is just being consistent and knowing when I do this, this is going to happen. Or if I, if I twisted that instead of, instead of after the fact, so that's like me after the fact, right? You're trying, trying to lean over to the other window on the blind, shoot, shoot at a doe you hit her in the gut and you're like what happened then you think after oh i know what i did i rubber necked that one you know but it's having the awareness before you get into that position to make that correction before you pull that it's just practice i guess you know but uh really it's a lot of it's into that grip and into that being consistent with your acre points i believe yeah i'll tell you this uh you mentioned knock travel and there's this this guy on the internet uh, and he tests, he's like a, this archer, right? He's an, he's a, he's not professional, mm-hmm. but he, he goes into, uh, he gets all every bow every year. Uh, I shouldn't say everyone. Um, but he gets a lot of the bows. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And he does, he does these tests and, uh, yep. compared to some of the other bows that are on the market, I think the, and this, this is, it's been a while since I've seen. I, you know, I don't, I didn't see it with the Nexus, but I think I, I saw it with the Logic series like three or four years ago. He, he did a knock mm-hmm. travel test, yep. and I think I'm pretty sure Prime, as far as knock this knock travel test, uh, performed at the top 
like one or two mm-hmm. compared to all the other uh, bows on the market. So, you know, what you just said has some, some really uh, good validity to it. And, and um, you know, and I've seen some of those other, you know, it's like bows that I've had personally in the past do a knock travel test. I'm like, oh, good God. Why yeah. doesn't anybody like this exactly. stuff needs to be seen? That's right. I mean, it, it's pretty compelling evidence. When you when you start to see a bow, I, I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about with the the laser thing he does on his garage door. Yep, that's him. You know he, yeah, yeah, that's Joe. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's uh, so it's pretty compelling evidence when you see a bow get drawn back. There's a lot of force in there. There's a lot of energy being built up, and those a lot of those other bows just kind of start bending around and getting all loose and bendy. And and when you release that arrow, it's going to have to unwind or unbend or untwist. And that creates horrible knock travel, and that's where you start to get a lot of accuracy problems. So, so yeah, that is a very compelling test to watch, and you know, it really does kind of prove the point of what we're trying to do. We actually test that knock travel exactly the way he did years prior to that, and we test them every year when we make our boats. So, and a lot of that has to go with the design of the riser too, and the material. Now, the material that we use is 82x aluminum. So it's a proprietary aluminum blend that we created um, to try and give us the strongest material, but yet the lighter weight material that we can get. So it's about as strong as 7,000 series aluminum, but light as light as, if not lighter than 6061 material. So, so that really helps with a bow twisting all around as it gets drawn back and you see those lasers try and stay nice and still. But man, when, when you see that center knock travel point change drastically three, four inches during a draw cycle, that starts to get frightening and starts to go, you know, light bulb pops and you're like, oh, I see what's happening here. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a very compelling test that he does. Yeah. So let me ask you this, as the materials, you know, like as this evolution, we see, you know, lighter, faster, more accuracy, um, how does the uh the the design of the actual riser where the cutouts are uh how does that all play into you know because you mentioned it's a it's a strong aluminum but it's light at some point I'm, i'm assuming i'm not an engineer at some point there's limitations to what you can do even with the best possible material right so how does how does the the riser design help in all the things that you just mentioned yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it it's all about give and take, and I, I got to tell you too, Dan, I'm not an engineer either, yeah. so I'm not going to try and pretend that I know everything about alloys or metals and how they work. But uh, it is definitely a, a game of give and take. If you want the mo- least vibration bow on the market, all you got to do is make a six pound riser, and boom, that's done. If you want the stiffest bow on the market, you make a six pound riser with some really heavy solid aluminum, boom, that's done. But nobody wants to carry around a six pound bow, you know. So you have, there is a certain amount of give and take. How can we make this bow what everybody wants, but yet still be able to control its, its rigidity, how, how, how it twists and how it turns? So that's uh, the riser design is a big part of it. And um, one thing that we made in the bottom half of our bow, if you notice, we, we came out with that during uh, the Synergy time was called the swerve. That was another issue that we addressed um, with uh, the bow staying on plane. So when you draw, every bow does this. When you draw a bow back, it flexes. Every single bow on the market flexes. Now, the question is how much and how does it flex, right? 
So if you have the top flexing twisting off to the left and the bottom twisting off to the right, now you have a serious twist in your riser as you drop back that has to unleash itself and create horrible knock travel. So the swerve design that we made on the bottom half, that little curve on the bottom half of our riser, was created so that when we do get flexed, now we get minimal flex, and Joe Marzu approved that, but the flex we do get, it tends to move in unison with each other. So it stays on the same plane. It's when things come off of plane is when you start to get some squirrely action with your arrow. Yeah. So that swerve is a part of the riser design. So it, it is very important, the riser design, not just the material you use. It's, it's how you cut it and how you turn it and how you twist it and even sometimes how you bevel it just, just to make it just right to play that game of give and take. You know, we could, we could easily take all the cutouts out, make it look super ugly, and make it twice as heavy as it needs to be and solve all of our problems. But nobody wants to carry that bow around, Dan. So we got to figure out how to make that exactly what everybody wants, but yet covers those issues. Yeah, and it sounds like what you just said was um, there are certain things that we cannot control uh, when it comes to, you know, like sure. all bows are going to flex, but you can control the flex and make it flex in the same way on both sides of the riser, controlling it mm -hmm. and thus making it, right. uh, making that accuracy to stay on that plane. Correct. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so you can minimize flex. You cannot eliminate it. Right. And if you try to eliminate it, you're going to be running into some serious issues with some seriously uh, just uncooperative materials. So, yeah. All right. So I want to ask you a kind of a marketing question right now then. Uh, since you're the marketing sure. guy, um, who's your demographic? Uh, anybody who wants to go bow hunting. That's our demographic. Now, let's be honest. We have a $1,000 bow in prime, and uh, it's, there's not a whole lot of beginners just jumping right in, both feet, buying a $1,000 product. So we are kind of looking for the leaders of the pack more so. But uh, we don't discriminate with anybody. I mean, yeah, we don't make a women's bow because we don't believe in it. We believe in a smaller-statured person's bow. And so most of the time that turns out to be women. But I know plenty of women have a 29-inch draw length. So there's no reason why they couldn't shoot one of our bows. So we are looking for somebody who wants the edge in hunting or target archery. And that's, that's pretty much our demographic. And it goes anywhere from the age of 60 to the age of 18 years old. And yeah. everybody else in everybody else outside of that, hey, if they want to jump in there, we'll take them too. Yeah. So I have my I have my own personal opinions about you know certain uh, how do I put this certain brands uh, and their you know through their marketing and and how they uh, how they address. Uh, the sale of their bow and who who they're trying to focus on it and the cool thing that I've always thought uh, with Prime is I look at Prime I look at the marketing I look at uh, what you guys are doing as far as everything that you've just said accuracy um, trying to get you know reduce the knock travel all these things to me translate into bow hunters right now not necessarily yeah. like hardcore bow hunters and that's when i look at the prime brand that's what i see i see i see a bow for bow hunters and i know that sounds dumb to say but when you're in my position it, it really doesn't so i mean that's more of a comment not really a question but i see like that's every time i go by one of your booths or i look at one of your uh 
your pieces of literature or whatever, or, you know, the, 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 whatever you're trying to promote, it just looks like, okay, a bow hunter would really get, would really dig that. Yeah. No, I mean, we're, we definitely concentrate on the bow hunting side. I mean, uh, we've made plenty of target bows and we love the target side, but a lot of those guys started bow hunting. So, I mean, that's, that's really where a lot of it comes down to. I understand in the European markets, it's, it's more of uh, the target world and all that. But accuracy is accuracy, Dan. doesn't matter what bow you got. Yeah. If, it can, if it don't hit where you're aiming, it doesn't matter what side of the game you play. Right. Absolutely. All right. So the next question I have for you is kind of like an identifying trends type. Because uh, back in the day, you know, we, go through, we went through this speed. Uh, like, you know, we got to have the million, you know, oh, yeah. a, a bow that shoots 3000 feet per second and we got to have, uh, and then it, it, oh, yeah. it all, it, it almost comes to a, Hey, we want smoothness and draw. And then we started seeing shorter axle to axles. And, and now what I, and this is just me personally, I I'm starting to see us come out of the, the short axle to axle type trend. What kind of trend do you think that we're in now as far as the, the archery industry as a total, maybe even specifically bow hunting? Uh, and then mm-hmm. where do you see uh, trends going in the next handful of years? Well, that is a, that is a pretty awesome question. I mean, I, uh, we have this argument all the time here and uh, there's a few ways I see things going. There's ways I really want to tell you, but I can't. And there's ways that I think is, you know, nice and safe to tell you. But the one thing I can tell you is I see a a large trend with um, like a bow that is, is you can take care of it yourself. Like it's self-sustaining for you. Like you don't need to go get it serviced all the time. So that's a big trend I see right now. Absolutely. Is a bow that you can work on yourself, whether it's adjusting draw length or taking, you know, turn here, turn here to take a, a left or right tear out or, changing your your draw uh your your draw length and your draw poundage so you know i think i think that's the big trend that we're looking at right now and where do i think that's gonna go um well i think i know where it's trying to go but i don't think that we're gonna go there with it but i do think that the thousand dollar bow market is going to eventually end up on the direct to to consumer market and i hate to say that but i do think Sooner than later, you're going to see it happen, and uh, that's just the way it's going to be. And, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it works. But uh, let me tell you something. The pro shop's an important place, man, and that's where that's where we learn a lot of our, our just traditions. That's where we learn a lot about the sport itself. That's where we can grow other people to gain more people into this industry. And uh, whether that happens or not, the pro shop ain't going nowhere. So, you know, we're going to stick behind the pro shop for as long as we can, but I do think that that is a trend that's currently happening right now. Yeah, and I will second that by saying, um, so in in the past, I would buy a bow, right? Or I would get a bow, mm-hmm. and yep. then I would take it yep. someplace to get it my, my rest put on, my sight put on, get adjusted and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. when you're going to a big box store, right? Sometimes I'm guessing, you know, sometimes the guy behind the counter may have, uh, you know, may have decent amount of experience, but they don't have as much experience as the guy who works on bows every single day, all day long. Right. And, That's true. That's true. and so I've seen like 
I, I will not take my bow to get serviced to any big box store anymore. It's going directly to a, a bow shop of some sort. Um, hopefully that that bow shop services or sells even the, the brand of bow that I, uh, that I am shooting and it, which makes it all better because they're educated about that. Not some guys making, you know, 10, $15 an hour and also sells boots and also sells, you know, like he's focused not only on the bow, but he's focused on a whole bunch of other things as well. So, um, and I've, I've just found me personally, that I'm getting better results and better uh, functionality and out of my bow when I take it to a specialist. Yes, absolutely. And, and we firmly believe that. I mean, there's a lot of the problems that uh, some guys are having, especially during the COVID situation where a lot of dealers were shut down, was the fact that they thought they knew what they were doing, and it turns out they didn't. I mean, they flat out couldn't get the bow to tune right, or they even dry fired it and couldn't get parts or whatever. They get. The amount of dry fires we had over over COVID was insane. Like, I, I just can't <laughs> even begin to explain. But that, I mean, that's a good thing, because to me that tells me at least people are out playing with their bows like they should be. But the thing is, is with pro shops shut down, people want cams direct. They want their strings direct. They want all this stuff direct, and it's like we don't, it's not that we don't trust you to fix your bow and take care of your own bow. It's the fact that why would you want to even risk it? Like, I don't know how to build an engine in my car, but if I blew out my transmission, I'm not going to go buy one from the local spot and shove it in my car real quick. You know, I mean, some guys can do that, but a lot of guys can't. So the pro shop ain't going nowhere. Yeah. And it's it's going to be a big part of, of bow hunting for a long time. Yeah. Until they make something that is absolutely foolproof that I have yet to see, it ain't going nowhere. That's yeah. It. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, what kind of informational uh, content do you, that do you guys put out or whether it's a class that you offer or a YouTube video or, uh, you know, instruction mm-hmm. on your website that you offer, not only for the dealer to, to learn and be more comfortable with your bows, but the, the end user as well. So one thing we do at the dealer level is uh, we'll have, well, we used to have summits so we would invite dealers out two or three times a year uh, with the new products to show them all how it works, how, how we tune it, our processes, things like that. But, you know, things change, especially the COVID situation. And now we started doing Zoom calls or, or video chats to where we can show them the product, show them how we make changes, things like that. So we work directly with our dealers on a direct call situation to uh, uh, help them get all the knowledge that they need about how our products work and and how they're even manufactured so that they can uh, uh, sometimes make their best guess on it. Because, you know, I mean, let's, let's be honest here. There's some things that are brought to the table that nobody thought of. You know, there's, oh, we didn't think that was going to happen. And here it is. We got to work with a few dealers to figure out how to fix it. You know, so we rely, we rely on a lot of that field test. Now, as far as the consumer level goes, yeah, we have videos out there on our uh, YouTube that you can check out on uh, how to adjust your draw lengths with the uh, rotating mod or how to adjust your timing. So to make sure your, your timing is correct. There's a lot of dealers that do that for us. Um, there's a lot of guys, just per, like uh, a lot of our sponsor guys that we'll have, they'll do videos on a lot of our products and how they work. Um, and then we'll do videos ourselves, like I said, on our YouTube or whatever the case is. But for the most part, I mean, if if you if you got a question about something that you can't find an answer for, call us, email us. We'll we'll answer back. We'll we'll let you we'll let you know what at least if we know or don't know how to fix it. 
the problem because, like I said, sometimes problems arise that you never thought of and neither did anybody else. So, you know, it's, that's what we're here for. We're here to take all those calls and listen to all those problems so that we can make a better bow the next year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, last question here for you today, and I do appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to do no this. But um, there's a guy. He's like, it's time mm-hmm. for a new bow. Maybe he's the yep. kind of guy who buys a bow every single year, or the, he's the kind of guy who's like, man, it's been 15 years and I'm still shooting Old Faithful, right? So he walks in, he's like, it's time. I'm going to go into a bow, bow shop and every brand of every mark, you know, every is hanging on the wall. And he has to go mm-hmm. through the process of, of finding one. Why should he consider Prime? Um, I think, I think, I don't think there's another bow company that has made as much strides as they can, as we have, of trying to actually solve real world problems for the archer. So that's why you should definitely give it a try. Now, I say give it a try. Now, you should also give every single bow out there a try. There's some really good products out there that make really good quality, accurate shooting experiences. So you should definitely try everything out there. And that's what we always say to everybody. Let the bow choose you. It's just sometimes the balance and the aiming part of the prime really, really chooses the archer for them really quickly. Yeah. Well, again, uh, if you if uh, people want to find out more information about uh, you know all the past, present, and future bows uh, for Prime, where should we send them? Yeah, for Prime, just go to g5prime.com. Uh, you can learn all about our current bows, our last year's bows, our technologies. There's even video on there, a little bit on the family history. And uh, yeah, if you go to our YouTube channel as well, just G5 Prime on YouTube, and uh, there's a lot of videos there and stuff. So. Or you can just give us a call, man, if you just want to chat. Perfect. Well, Ryan, hey, I appreciate your time, and uh, good luck this upcoming season. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was good. Have fun.